whatever your niche is, you need to figure out who you are, genuinely, who you are, and then stay that person when you market. Niche on how you market and the type of law you practice. You know, the more narrow the area you have, I think the more protected you will be. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. Think back to the last time you were in Las Vegas. How many billboards did you see? How many of those were personal injury attorneys? If your memory is anything like mine, they were everywhere. It's almost impossible to imagine the city of lights without them. But 50 years ago, you couldn't find an ad for an attorney if you tried. Before 1972, advertising a law firm was illegal. And even after it was considered protected First Amendment right, the stigma remained. Then in the mid 80s, a courageous man flipped the script and placed a TV ad for his Nevada firm. Ed Bernstein, owner and founding partner of Edward M. Bernstein & Associates, is now one of the most recognizable people in Nevada. He has served the Las Vegas community for decades and hosted the Ed Bernstein Show for over 30 years. Today, Ed shares his wisdom he has collected over decades in the industry. He explains why the riches are in the niches, the importance of repetition, and when to consider a line of succession. Ed proves that you have to be willing to take some arrows when tapping into markets and going against the grain. Here's Ed Bernstein, owner and founding partner at Edward M. Bernstein and Associates. I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew enough to that, oh, maybe I should go to law school because the education is just invaluable. Um, so I worked three jobs during the day, went to law school at night, started uh, a couple of my own businesses while I was in law school, finished law school, and I still didn't have a passion for the law even when I finished law school. And some of the businesses that I had started had done very well. Lawyers that I had graduated with were still trying to get jobs at that time. It was a long time ago. So for the first year or two, I did not practice law. I kept doing the businesses I had. And then I got really fed up managing these businesses. And and the bug hit me. I want to be an attorney. I want to practice law. I grew up in Philadelphia. I was living back there. And we moved out to uh, Las Vegas, where I, I kind of was on my way to L.A., but I saw the opportunity here in the, in the mid-70s in Las Vegas, and I saw the, the wonderful blue skies. We had like maybe 300 lawyers here at that time, and I just put out a shingle and started practicing law. Running a practice and being very successful, just big picture what it takes to actually compete in a market like this. Well, of course, the market today particularly in Las Vegas, is a lot different than it was you know, 40 plus years ago. When I started advertising, I, there was no competition. I was the only competition. And I have an interesting story, Chris, on why I started going on TV. In the very early 80s, must have been 1981, one day I was watching TV and there's an ad for Sunrise Hospital came on. Now, flashback 40, you know, 45 years ago, you never heard of a hospital advertising. And the first thing I thought was, why would a hospital have to advertise for business? You know, it's, it's, it's a necessity. When people need medical care, they go to a hospital. Well, Sunrise Hospital did a study. And, 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 and in certain instances, hospitals are nothing more than very similar to hotels. You know, they have vacancy factors. And Sunrise Hospital realized 
that they, their rooms were full from Monday to Friday. The vacancy was significant on the weekends. In those days, of course, um, there was very few people who were admitted directly into a hospital, what, unless you were a super emergency. You know, what would happen is a doctor would admit you and then doctor would discharge you, preferably your family doctor. And they realized that the doctors waited for the weekend to end to admit patients. So they would admit them on Monday and they wanted to get them out of the hospital by Friday because the doctors didn't want to be on call in the hospital on the weekends. So Sunrise recognized this as a, uh, as a vacancy issue and they did a promotion on TV that if you had a, an optional procedure to be done in a hospital and you checked in on a Friday and had the procedure over the weekend and stayed till, till Monday, they would send you on Hawaiian Air to Hawaii for a trip. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, first of all, I thought it was br- a brilliant way to fill the rooms. Uh, but secondarily, I mean, the idea of a hospital advertising and doing a giveaway to get business gave me the incentive and the strength and the courage because you needed courage in those days to market with lawyer advertising because it, you got a lot of criticism from all the existing bar associations. That, that really helped me have the, the, the confidence to do it. Ed was one of the first to gamble on marketing for a law firm, and he came in on top, but the landscape has changed since he placed those first bets. You know, it used to be all you had to do was put an ad on TV and the phone rang. It was the easiest thing in the world. Um, you know, maybe you tried newspaper, didn't work so well. Maybe you tried a little radio, wasn't as good as TV. Uh, internet wasn't around yet. You know, then the internet came in the last, you know, 20 years or so. Everybody's been trying to figure out how to do the internet. And the competition is so fierce now. And the younger attorneys are so accustomed to, to marketing and advertising. So it's kind of expected that you're going to have to market at some level. And it's much more acceptable by, um, by younger attorneys. And they come into a market and they go into a private practice and they are going to advertise. So as you said, everything is so fragmented. Um, you can no longer just put an ad on TV and do well. My opinion and my advice is you really have to be everywhere. And I, I, and I don't know, you know how to do that as, as successfully as I did it on TV a long time ago, quite, quite honestly. Yeah. And even then, even the TV audience is now shifting the, the younger, I guess the Gen Z are now shifting to more streaming. So now you've got, you know, you got people that watch Netflix, you got people watch Hulu, some watch Amazon, some watch Disney and all of these different apps. So then that's shifting. So like you said, the omni-channel approach, I I do want to kind of shift though, because you've had one huge advantage and and it's just so different because you've had the Ed Bernstein show for it's one of Las Vegas's longest running shows. And I got to imagine that just the experience, the attention, how did that opportunity come about? And let's talk about that a bit. January 1989, um, I had an idea about doing a, a television show. And it, and it started out kind of as a consumer-oriented TV show. The original idea that I had was, I want to do consumer reports for TV. So if there's a recall with an automobile, with a product, I wanted to inform people about the recall. So we set up a kind of like a magazine type of show where where I did a a quick informational piece about products that had been recalled. I had a political pundit come on. I had a doctor come on and do a segment. And I had a fitness person come on and do a segment. 
And it was just a bunch of little segments. Well, after about uh, six months of working it that way, I realized that I started to really enjoy the interview part of it. And for selfish reasons, I was meeting incredible people. Sooner or later, everybody comes to Las Vegas. With the conventions, um, we get every noted author, every rock star, every entertainer, every politician, every, every sports figure, everybody is here. So my access to, uh, to talent was, was unlimited. And I started doing interviews and, you know, interviewing people from the president to Jerry Springer and everybody in between. And it's been just great fun for me to network and meet people. And, and I don't really have a uh, handle on what it means in the, in the big sense of my marketing. You know, it's probably impossible to measure. It's been 34 years that I've done this every week for 34 years. And we're on the NBC uh, affiliates on Sunday afternoon. Sometimes we get lucky and we're right after a Sunday afternoon football game and have a tremendous audience sometimes. I really do enjoy meeting the people that I meet. A lot of my heroes from my childhood that are, that are aging rock stars today or, and authors. And I really, I really like to, to learn what I can from authors. You mentioned a few that, that, that are quite memorable for you. I grew up in uh, music in the 60s and 70s. So um, all those Motown heroes from uh, Little Richard to uh, Stevie Wonder to Temptations people to English rock and roll people like the Moody Blues, the Monkees, Duran Duran. I mean, I've interviewed all those, those groups in, uh, for rock people. Um, I was just re-watching the other night uh, Silence of the Lambs. I had interviewed Anthony Hopkins, and I had forgotten you know, that I had interviewed him. And he was a remarkable guest. But I, and I, I did spend a, an afternoon with Anthony Hopkins. I mean, only because I had a TV show. Otherwise, I never would have encountered this man. He's, by the way, a lovely man. When we're talking about marketing, and I've got my marketing hat right on, you've got the know, like, trust. And it seems like that show hits a lot, right? It helps segue me into politics at one time in my life. Because I also do a lot of um, political figures. I also use the show um, to highlight candidates for judges in, in Nevada, because I think that that's, we really need that. Most people who vote in an election for a judge, we have elected judges here in Nevada, um, they have no idea who they're voting for. So I'd like to get judges out on our show and do interviews with them to familiarize the uh, electorate with them. Um, I had a situation, a personal situation in my life in uh, near 2000. Um, I have a daughter who was severely ill, who um, had very, very severe Crohn's disease. She ended up having uh, ostomy bags and catheters, and she had to hook up every night to an IV for 10 hours a night to get nutrition to survive. She ended up passing about five years ago. But when I went through this experience with her, and she was diagnosed at three years old when she was in 1992, so for the following 10 years, I lived hospital to hospital with her going through experimental treatments and fighting with our insurance company to get these treatments um, approved by the insurance company. And I realized how, how bad the insurance companies were, were treating some of these um, illnesses, particularly when there was biologics that would help people, but they were so expensive, the insurance companies weren't covering them. So I decided to give up my law practice, for, and I did for two years. I ran for the U.S. Senate, and I was a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate in Nevada. Ended up losing to a guy who subsequently 
resigned for uh, uh, marital reasons, let's call it that. But it was an incredible experience for me because I got to then meet and travel with U.S. senators from around the country, cabinet members. You know, when you're campaigning for the U.S. Senate, you meet those kind of people. And it was an incredible experience. Probably wasn't the best deal for my marketing because um, FEC regulations and FCC regulations require that if you're a candidate for a national office, that you're, you cannot be on a, a commercial for another you know, business because it's considered a campaign contribution to your campaign. So I had to go off the air with my face for a year and a half. People like Glenn Lerner, others moved into the market. First of all, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I, I got to imagine that was a really trying time. And, uh, and I can't imagine that, that I would do anything differently to be next to, you know, to, to my son. And, and um, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, the, you're right. I, everybody goes to Vegas. I've been to Vegas. When I go to Vegas, it's unlike any other place in the world with just the amount of advertisements there are. I mean, everywhere you look, it could be a bench, it could be a billboard, it could be, it's just everywhere. <laughs> so I know you have uh, billboards and, and you've done the billboard advertising. Does it come a point where you just don't get enough repetition or, or just that there's just so much saturation? Like, like, how do you weigh those decisions? Very complicated, complex decisions to make. I had a, a friend who I was chatting with the other day who told me he rode up and down the freeway counted 160 billboards from point A to point B that he was driving, and 130 of them were lawyers of 160. I'm sure we have more attorneys on billboards and on TV probably than any other market in in America. And now with digital boards, which makes it much harder because, you know, the price, you know, instead of having, you know, your full minute on, on a board, you have seven seconds. And the price didn't change. I mean, you're paying for what I used to pay for a stationary board, for a digital board. And the billboard companies have done quite well with that. But yes, there's a point of diminishing returns. I think in Las Vegas, um, we've hit that saturation point. And it's time to look at you know, other modes of, of marketing. Um, I do think that, that a niche is important, whatever your niche is. If you're, you know, speed and greed, um, that's one niche. If you're, you know, the conservative traditional lawyer, it's another. If you're the female, if you're old, you're young. I mean, whatever your niche is, you need to figure out who you are, genuinely, who you are, and then stay that person when you mark. In areas where the saturation of attorneys is high, I wanted to know if Ed saw any value in a firm purchasing or building billboards and then selling that ad space to attorneys. Short answer to your question is, can you do it? Sure. You have to secure the leases on the land. And, and um, of course, today, to, when you do a, a digital board, it's a lot more, it's, it's over well over $200,000 to put up a, a digital board. Then it has to be maintained. And then you need Salesforce to go out and sell them. And then you got to deal with all your customers who are difficult lawyers to deal with. <laughs> when I look back at some of the businesses that I've been involved in in my life, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the only one I've really consistently made money in has been the law world. When I, when I venture outside of things that I, that I know, I run into trouble. I hear you. Those shiny objects are always there, though, right? I, I want to talk also about retaining top talent. 
you hear the negative connotation of a golden handcuffs. How do how do you approach? Because you were you know heavy volume, you, your practices evolved and went went through different milestones and phases. What's your approach to hiring and retaining the top talent? Top talent is the most important thing that you can have. Now, there's some advertising law firms that don't litigate cases. We do. So that changes the type of talent that you're looking for. But even if you are not litigating cases and you're just accumulating cases, you still need great customer service people and people knowledgeable of the law. When you add in the litigation component, then you're also looking for, okay, I need people who can protect the client, protect the law firm, get the job done. You don't want to have to worry about malpractice and ethical issues. So you need people who are very careful and, and, and it's a very competitive market. Right now, I don't know how, how it is in, in your market, but in, in Las Vegas, we have difficulty hiring a lawyer at any level, whether entry or very experienced. The buyer's market here is very, very strong. And it's true. For, look, it's, after post-COVID, it's true with everything. It's true with legal secretaries, receptionists, uh, intake people, every, everything. The world is changing. I wish I was smart enough to know how to deal with uh, younger people that are entering the workplace and, and their work ethic and their requirements. Quite honestly, I'm, I'm happier that I'm on my, more on my way out than on my way in. <laughs> it, is, it is so interesting on the talent. Is you're exactly right. Like the the high skilled top top of boom taxonomy. Your, your trial attorneys are just lawyers in general. They're more scarce, and I'd imagine significantly more people are offshoring for that pricing arbitrage for a lot cheaper labor on the the more technician level duties, the more repeatable duties that that low skill, and then that way they can pay the, the in house attorneys more. And I guess just because we're just so connected with the mobile device and Zoom and Slack and all these different features, it's, it kind of pushes you that way when you can't find the labor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you have to work it out any way you can. Um, I've never had good experiences offshore with people doing medical records, for instance, or you know, form letters and that type of thing. I, I do think that eventually it's going to get into the higher levels. Of. I do think that you're going to be able to have greater communication and greater um, flexibility Let's say if I'm in Las Vegas and I want to you know, hire uh, an attorney from New York, somebody maybe whatever the relationship is off counsel or whatever the relationship is, that type of talent, I think, is eventually going to work its way through the system as law firms are starting to be bought and sold and non-lawyer ownership in law firms. I think that's inevitable. So you got consolidation occurring. You know, there's all this the pressure in, in Arizona and in and the non-attorney owners and what that brings from the private equity. And I, I kind of want to circle around, and you said this, as, as just you know, succession planning. Have you thought about that? Have, because it's significantly more challenging in your space to sell a firm than my space, for example. It's always been a topic of conversation. I do think that there are people who have successfully do it. Um, I, I have a, a friend in Pittsburgh, Edgar Snyder. Um, Edgar successfully has done that by transitioning over a period of time to, um, to partners in his firm. And he you know, they've kept the name Edgar Snyder, and he has you know, a little bit of commitment into doing some of the advertising, I guess, over there, and, you know, but none of the responsibility. You know, he's got partners that handle all the legal work. That's one way to do it. I have a managing 
partner that has a small interest in, in our firm, and every year she has the right to accumulate more interest. I thought that would be a good way to get out. There's a lot of firms, like Sam Bernstein firm in uh, Detroit. You know, he's got three kids that are that are attorneys <laughs> that he can pass it down to. If you have a, a you know a, a, a child that's an attorney, it's a great way to do it. Then you're dealing, of course, with the um, complications of having a family business. An exit strategy is important. Um, I remember years ago when Jim Sokolov first started practicing law, and uh, we. Uh, got together with a small group of about six or eight of us. And I remember our first meeting in Boston, must have been 35 years ago, and we were talking about succession planning. And Jim always had the idea, hey, let's put some commercials in the can. So when I'm dead, I can run these commercials. I don't, I don't know if you ever did it or not, but a lot of us that grew up with attorney advertising are now at the stage of retiring. So I think that we're dealing with this issue now, and we're creating said ways on how to do it and ideas on how to do it. And I do think you know, the private equity issue is inevitable. I mean, look, it, it happens in every industry. And you can't say that law is any different or more important than medicine. And you have, you know, you have these investment firms all running hospitals and doctor's offices. I was getting on the census and looking at you know other industries, and I saw the funeral homes were all consolidated and into major holding companies. And then I looked at dental, and then all the dental practices are, and it just seems like legal is is one of the last that that hasn't went that direction into the consolidation, and the, and then who knows what will happen in regards to you know economies of scale and how advertising will change when that when that happens. Right, and there will be an additional consolidation going on. I don't know what it's going to do to a, to a sole practitioner. I do think it's important to um, not only get a niche on how you market, but get a niche on what you what type of law you practice. You know, the more narrow the area you have, I think the more protected you will be. I, I couldn't agree more. I got my book over here. You can see it on niching. <laughs> so you're <laughs> you're doing a great job for me here. I, I want to sh- circle back just a little bit of fun. Ed, on, on some of these other uh, businesses that you had, you wouldn't mind sharing just some of these others that you enjoyed doing. And Well, I, I grew up, my dad, my dad was in the restaurant business in Philadelphia. He had a little deli across the street from the University of Pennsylvania. Going back to the 60s and 70s, we had a cigarette machine in this restaurant, which made a lot of money. So I approached my dad and said, hey, I, I'd like to take over the cigarette machine and go into the vending machine business, which I did. And um, we started getting uh, different accounts, vending machines, uh, whether they be candy machines, cigarette machines, pinball machines, jukeboxes in, in nightclubs, that type of thing. And then um, I got the idea of opening up a laundromat two doors down from my dad's restaurant. So it was across the street from the dormitories at the University of Penn. The air hockey games had just gotten popular at that time. So I built a back room and we put air hockey games and pinball machines in the back room. So while people were waiting for their clothes to be washed and dried, they'd go into the back room and spend money in the back room at the air hockey games and the, and the pinball machines. They were doing quite well. One day, because I was kind of a one-man operation and I would repair the machines when they broke down. And one day our business account, busiest account in downtown Philadelphia was at nightclub in downtown Philly. Every Friday night at like nine, 10 o'clock, the machine would malfunction and break down. I'd have to get, wake up, go down 1.30 in the morning, to repair the machine. And I realized I was being sabotaged. Last thing this 
guy wanted me wanted to be involved in was maybe the vending machine business in Philadelphia, which at that time was very mob connected. So um, I realized that this is not the way I want to live my life, that uh, I need to get out of this business and, and go do what I, what I really had a calling for is practicing law. What a coincidence. It broke again. <laughs> this damn machine. I need a new one. Oh, yeah. Well, well I think strategically that, that was really smart and and you probably did bring a lot of attention there. Jeez. What's next for, for Ed Bernstein and Associates and, and where can the audience go to learn more? Well, edbernstein.com is our website. Uh, we're on U- Most of our TV shows are on YouTube. If you uh, go on YouTube and you just uh, search uh, Ed Bernstein's show, a lot of our, the vast majority of our interviews are there, at least the ones from the last 25 years. And what's next for me is um, working with guys like you and trying to understand what's going on on SEO and the internet and digital and I'm trying to rely on guys like you that are younger and a little bit more experienced in those genres than I am. Thanks so much to the legendary Ed Bernstein for everything you shared today. Let's go through the key takeaways and it's time for the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, the riches are in the niches. One of the most competitive markets in the U.S. is Las Vegas is saturated. Wherever you are, niching is a good way to do just that. I do think it's important to not only get a niche on how you market, but get a niche on what type of law you practice. You know, the more narrow the area you have, I think the more protected you will be. Pinpoint number two, be consistent. Ed has been on the air for over 40 years. The Ed Bernstein Show is one of the longest running TV shows in Vegas history. That repetition means tons of impressions. Impressions means that you become sticky in individuals' minds, but it can't happen overnight. You gotta put those reps in. Done this every week for 34 years. And we're on the NBC uh, affiliates on Sunday afternoon. Sometimes we get lucky and we're right after a Sunday afternoon football game and have a tremendous audience sometimes. And pinpoint number three, start with the end in mind. When succession planning, consider utilizing a form of equity. When the employee becomes an owner, their mindset can shift and become more invested. I have a managing partner that has a small interest in in our firm and every year she has the right to accumulate more interest. If you have a a child that's an attorney, it's a great way to to do it. An exit strategy is important. I'm Chris Stryer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. If you made it this far, it's time to pay the tax. No, I'm not talking about taking your cash like Big G. I'm asking you for a five-star review on Apple. Leave me a review and I'll forever be grateful. If this is your first episode, welcome and thanks for hanging out. Come back for fresh interviews where you can hear from those making it rain. Now get out there and dominate.